Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. All right, all right, all right. I'm here with Donnie Gebert, the host of the Direct Republic podcast and the author of A Direct Republic, The Null Hypothesis of Politics. How are you doing, Donnie? Mighty fine. How are you, Tom? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad we actually got this actually rolling, man. I was really excited to talk to you. I think this is going to be a lot of Excellent. fun. There, there's a lot of people uh, that have been asking. Uh, I've been sharing your podcast around different groups that I'm involved in um, on the internet. People, uh, other guests I've had on, uh, people that listen to the show. So, uh, and every one of them has come back on, who are these direct Republic guys? So <laughs> give me a, I don't want to take uh, two episodes, but let's get a little bit of background about who you are. Um, my name's Donnie. I was in the military for, uh, so my name's Donnie. I was in the military for 19 years. I injured out, um, I, w I did four different jobs, uh, logistics, infantry. I was in the Navy as an electronics technician, and then I did military intelligence. Um, I got exposed to, you know, moderate amounts of getting shot at, but nothing really to write home about. It was more I got exposed to the whole enterprise of the DOD. And I noticed that a lot of the stuff we're being told on TV versus what the military is, well, you know, what the information we're getting on the inside versus the information we're getting on the outside, it's kind of different. So when I got out, I started looking really more into how, why does the system that's supposed to fix all these problems not fix them? And um, it just came from a lot of discrepancies, changes in language, a lot of lawyers speak, but all of the functional stuff gets uh, messed around with. And I didn't, I didn't understand how normal people would look at the continued political situation and just take it. And it's really more my own bias of I'm not used, I'm being, you know, I'm in an organization that's paid to not take it. And then I'm in an organization that's paying to cart my ass around the world and give me a perspective that other people don't have. Right. So when I got done with that, so all the discrepancies led me to this. There are four different ways to build a legislature, a direct democracy, a constitutional republic, a constitutional democracy, and a direct republic. Okay. And those are the ways you do it because open, you know, there's top down and there's bottom up. And basically I just had to go through all of the principles of what would be, what would it look like to do it from the bottom up? And, you know, uh, Walter Block and, David Friedman have written books on the topic. And when you take a, some blockchain organization, a blockchain is an open public ledger. So everything that's supposed to belong to the public, there's no, there's no privacy issues there. So why wouldn't we have all of our documentation, documentation and transactions done in the public? And lo and behold, all the corruption comes from why we don't have that. So just um, how would we organize from the bottom up instead of centralized top down and how would we do it in a digital age instead of like what's up? Yeah. It, well, and I've gone back and I've listened to all of your episodes about three times on, on the direct Republic uh, podcast. And the one thing I, I, I find interesting is I just recently began to look into uh, agorism and, and the way that would work. And your, your take is very uh, agoristic in, in a way um, because you're, you're looking at how can the everyday person make a difference in, in the political structure and there are plenty of people out there that feel like we have no say that the average people have no say and uh it's it's I, so i found your take on how to actually combat the system if if you will um 
to be really interesting because it, it, it really does allow for those of us who are a little more individualistic and looking at things um, from a perspective that we don't want to be involved in this. It, it kind of gives us an out. It gives us a way to say, okay, well, we can find a system that, that works for us. And this is how we get, you know, a system that works for each and every one of us. Yeah. The, the, what we got was this, an, an education in how this is done in a centralized way. And that's kind of, kind of explainable. Yeah. You could think about it in the fifties, the government would, and I quote, they would release material to the public. They wouldn't necessarily tell anyone they'd put it in one book. That one book would be in a public library in Fresno, California. So if anybody wanted to find this, and I quote, publicly available information, they had to know where the book was in the library in Fresno. Right. So a lot of people have been attacking this problem from the shittiest information holes I can imagine. I've been so long on an internet that I don't really remember. I was a child before the internet. I didn't have to have a professional adult life trying to research things where the stuff that I can find is barely enough to cover the spread. So I guess the best way is like everybody has a legal supply train and we have an information supply train and we have a, tri a supply train to get strawberries. And the strawberries won't get here in the winter time if they aren't paid for. And if those supply trains are weak to supply chain management problems where some people steal the strawberries or information chain management problems where the payments don't get made or the, uh, the payments get stolen en route, you will not have strawberries in the winter. That's just mm -hmm. how that'll happen. Well, the legal supply train works fundamentally the same way, except you're not allowed to not buy it. It's not strawberries. You will have this legal supply train. It will work in this manner. If you don't like it, it doesn't matter. And it was adopted, you know, 100 years before anybody who was alive was born. So we really can't continue to go forward with information passing so fast where the legal system is now just functionally holding everyone back. It's causing more problems than it's solving. And the whole purpose of it is to solve the problem that it's designed to solve. And it doesn't solve those either. So at the end of the day, we're all into the, we got to rethink this anyway because it doesn't work. Yeah. And one of the, one of the most interesting comments in your book I found was when you were talking about the invention of the telegraph, I believe it was, was, was pretty much mm -hmm. the end of the constitution that, that you were, you were suggesting that as in, in you, your whole point was that the advancement of technology outdated the constitution. It, it made it, it put us in a post-constitutional era because uh, the way that information was able, able to flow. And now with the internet and it's flowing so quickly, you have uh, obviously taken a like to blockchain. And I want to get into that a little bit more because I'm not super familiar with it. It's one of those things that I really want to spend some time looking into. And I just haven't, had the opportunity to look into it. That is one of my projects in the coming up weeks is to really understand what blockchain technology is and the cryptocurrencies are and how we can use them. So how, how would blockchain, how does the, the technology of blockchain, not necessarily the cryptocurrencies, but the blockchain technology itself, mm -hmm. how can we use that to further freedom for everyone? Okay, one of, one of the blockchain systems is called Propy, P-R-O-P-Y. Yes, and sir. this is designed for le uh, deeding, land deeds. It's not a currency per mm -hmm. se, but it's for land deeds. Okay. So this, the, the whole reason this blockchain exists is to do the deeding system. 
well, the reason that your county has the ability to tax it all is because they hold that deeding system. They have the right to redeed if certain rules are broken. They have the right to tax, and if taxes aren't paid, they have the right to redeed and sell the land. So when you put these on an open open ledger, what happens to the deed system is it becomes similar to cash, where it's peer to peer. I would buy your house from you. There is no one who can redeed it. There is no one who taxes land, so there's no need for a third party to hold the deed. So now the, the deeds are held by functionally anybody who wants to be a validator in the system. So you get involved in this. I'm, you know, you can uh, get a little bit of coin and then you can put it in a stake. It's called a staking wallet. Okay. The reason a cryptocurrency, or well, okay, let's stay away from currencies for now. This, so what this does is it basically takes all of the um, all the property in whatever jurisdiction puts their their deeds on this. It turns them into baseball cards. This works good with land. It doesn't work so well with real property, like well, property that you can move around. You don't necessarily want to have a, you know, I have a private key that allows me into a piece of property that could just be stolen and somebody takes it. But land isn't going anywhere. So with GPS coordinates and the land taken care of, you can prevent the state from redeeding. Well, if they can't redeed, they can't tax. If they can't tax, how does the other stuff get paid for? Because really the pushback you get from a lot of people about government services is, well, okay, we get rid of the one part, but then another, uh, the good part, you know, the organization versus the, the, the fraud surface, the organization doesn't get done when they can't tax. Then you got to figure out the next problem of, okay, I just took away their funding source. Now, how do I fund all the things that they were doing other than deeds? It just flows from there. Okay. So basically in, in, in layman's terms, like when you, when you're entering into the blockchain and you're, and you're, you're giving the, the individual, the control over whatever, um, particular resource that, 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 that blockchain is developed to, to, um, encompass. I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, the, so there's validators and there's users. So okay. the validators are the ones who validate transactions. And these are done by a smart contract. It, it's functionally, you're running a node that, that everyone is running the same version. And uh, because you're all running the same version, you will all keep an eye on each other's transactions. So everybody has a copy of the ledger instead of one person having a copy of the ledger. And, you know, uh, any hidden ledger that you have to request, that's, that's the beauty of it. When you, everyone has a copy of the ledger, no one has that information stranglehold. And it's much easier to adjudicate when everyone is informed. Right. So this is like on like true transparency, basically, is what we're, what we're really looking at in this, in the blockchain. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. I, that, that helps me a little bit. When you look at decentralization, Mm -hmm. okay. When when you're doing decentralization of a government, you could take one thing away from them, but you have to find a solution for that thing. If you're going to decentralize the whole thing, you have to figure out a solution for all of the things. So this is just the land solution and you have tokens for your land instead of a deed register at the county courthouse. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because uh, that technology, man, really, you know, I got, I guess, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm 40 years old and I'm like, uh, the more, more shit pops up, the more I'm like, oh, just get away from me, you know? So, so I, I just kind of, but I did yeah. find your take on it interesting. I, I was like, oh, wow. Like this could actually like really be something that we can use in the future. Right. And the beauty of it is it like a lot of people are fed up with politics and that's the reason you do this because you don't want to have these issues be political anymore because mm-hmm. they have solutions that don't, that they don't involve that. They don't involve the argument. There's no reason to have one bucket of funding and vote over it. You put your money in your bucket and I put money in my bucket. And if your bucket doesn't get filled, maybe your idea is dumb. 
And if my bucket doesn't get filled, maybe my idea is done. Right. And that that's and that, where I was going to yeah. go next. Yeah, that's definitely where I was going to go next because you can when you blockchain the the political system uh so to speak, you do and and when you when you wrote about it, you did allow for hey, you know, some people may like this the current system and they like being lazy and not being being in, informed. They're not interested in all these things. But for those people that are interested and want to be informed and want to have a direct, you know, line to what is happening, where their money is going, where their support is going, they have the option to opt out of certain programs and opt into other programs through the blockchain system. And I found that really interesting because that's always been something I've been that I've advocated for. Well, the idea is that other people make laws that restrict your normal human liberty is kind of antithetical to the whole idea of getting along and civil society anyway. Right. Coordinating, you know, standards of behavior like not murdering and not raping is one thing. How we adjudicate if somebody breaks the rules is another. When somebody's breaking the rules, it really is more a matter of enterprise of excuse me, enterprise environment factors. You know, that person is on the run because they committed murder. It doesn't really matter if you have a state statute or a contract law society. Chasing a dude down is difficult. That's not really germane to how does the legal system function. And everybody seems to think that they need to understand the law the way they need to understand a police chase. And what they really need to understand is, no, you need to understand the law that applies to you and you need to not let other people write it for you because otherwise somebody else is always, they will write you laws forever when you only have to pay for the laws you're involved with. It works better because the, the bullshit laws that nobody wants, they magically won't get paid for anymore Yeah, because nobody's paying for those laws. Well, I mean, it, this would go, this would stretch well beyond that. Um, it was two days ago. I saw that. Um, the Taliban and the United States had come to an agreement and um, uh, were signing a treaty and that the United States was offering to pull out in 14 months. But you wouldn't have these perpetual wars, the ability to, to send people to war for an extended amount of time without the public support that was advocating and willing to pay for it up front. Um, you wouldn't be able to fund programs by just printing money uh, from the Federal Reserve. Uh, that would cut deeply into the debt. It would it would definitely curb quantitative easing in a, a significant way. So so you there there's a lot of positives, not just for your personal liberty and the things that you can agree to on a personal level, but there's also the, the, you know, kind of the echo effect, you know, that, that happens because of what you're choosing on, on, on your personal individual level. So uh, I think a lot of people will be attracted to that wanting, you know, you got these people that want Medicaid for all or Medicare for all. Okay, fine. Pay for it. I, I don't, I don't mind if you have it, I just don't want you to force me into paying for it. And that's what, that's what you're offering. Yeah. There's people who want Medicare for all, but they don't know what a risk pool is. So at a certain point, these people are so far out of their element because their politicians told them that because the politician has a printing press, many promises that you and I would recognize to be false have been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So when you have the ability to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea and it doesn't make it right. It just means that you have the ability to go harm a bunch of people because you have a printing press. Eventually, the illusion of the printing press goes away. And I will admit, the people who did this, man, they have been rolling the dollar hegemony really, really well. Like, I'm, I, if I wasn't so you know, sad about it, I'd be impressed. And they have really done a good job of keeping a dead currency alive since 1971. 
even past 2008 when the whole thing went asunder. So yeah. now all I'm seeing is propaganda of everybody about everything. And, you know, I'm not, I'm apolitical, but Trump seems to be the guy who's going up in there trying to clean stuff up. Now, I understand he does, you know, there's political stuff and not what, whatever's put on television, you just take most of that with a grain of salt. Right. But he's cleaned up, you know, he's obviously cleaning up pedophiles and putting pedophiles in jail. Can't, nobody can argue against, you know, pedophile cleanup. So that seems to be attached to a lot of these other systems. You know, Jeffrey Epstein was good at his job. Therefore, politicians have been doing a song and dance on printed money, and nobody really knows what's going on. And I, I just kind of see the game is coming to an end now. Well, when the game came to an end in the Soviet Union, when that wall came down, man, it was ugly behind there. Right. So rather than have a, a boogeyman behind the wall, when this illusion drops, it's better to have a plan. So you, I'm more of the guy with, I'd rather sit around and figure out how, how does this go sideways? Because eventually it's like an unbalanced washing machine. So eventually this is going to go sideways. When it goes sideways, what does plan B look like? Right. And I think about as good as it gets is a decentralized legislature. And then well, never mind plan B. Sounds like a plan A to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I actually, uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. But you know what I hear, and I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about this, and I'm sure you have. You're pretty introspective, it seems like. But what I hear is a man who that spent 19 years in the military, jumping around from branch to branch, service to service, uh, doing, you know, having highly sensitive information trusted within him. And he looked back at the oath he took and he looked at what he was doing and he was like, you know what? Like there's a better way to keep my oath than this. How much of that, how much of that oath and, and what you promised to uh, fulfill when you joined the military has to do with the work that you're doing now? I, I, I was always looking forward to my all enemies domestic tour. Uh, I, I, I was under the impression that my all enemies foreign tours were, were there because there were reasons. And prior to 2008, I don't think anybody knew any better. Right. No one on earth. We could have mm -hmm. dialed back the government a bit, but just not all the way because life on earth, had, you know, there was no. 2008 was when high speed internet came around and that's when you could do a global blockchain system. So you could organize certain things in a different way. Beyond mm -hmm. that, before that, I don't know how anybody would have had the ability to have a really, I don't want to say that there wasn't good information network. I'm just saying that those information networks were, they could regional on the face of the planet, even if they knew, you know, they, you might have a lot of information, but you didn't really have a way to coordinate across the entire planet in short order. And right. this became the way to really do that. And I never liked politicians. So I, I worry more about the all enemies domestic anyway. I, mm. That's always where I was looking. It's, I, I look outward, but inward is, is where I see, pro like, let's just say you're looking both ways and you start seeing the problems inward more than outward. Right. And then you get sent, you get sent to a war and you still see more problems at home. And then after a while, it's just like, you know, I'm pretty sure the politicians are sending this out in the weeds because the real problems aren't here. That's well, where it is. You come home seeing the stuff overseas. You see a war over there. You come back and you're like, wait a minute, there's pieces of that here. How is it here? Because politics is war by other means. Right. Yeah. And that's one of, the, that's one of my favorite things as you say. And that makes the way you describe that uh, looking looking domestically uh, as opposed to looking at, at foreign enemies. It reminds me of Alexis de Tocqueville and uh, democracy for America. Uh, when he, when he wrote about the only way that America would come down is from within that it's not going to be a foreign enemy. It's not going to be from without. It's going to be from within in the, in the electing of these policies and, and, and things that, that take, the country down so that that's really what i hear you talking about 
But um, never mind. Hillary Clinton was a liar thirty years before she ran for president. And she still <laughs> got all those votes. Right. Yes. So you got to ask yourself, like, what are these people? What are, what kind of decision making are these people making when they're looking at at this person who's has a track record of you can't trust the word out of her mouth, and then she told you stuff, and now you believe her. How does that work? Yeah, well, and you also have to look at what well, you have to look at the the Prussian system of public schooling that has been forced down our throats, you know, for the last hundred years too. When it comes to the willingness and ability to swallow the propaganda that we're fed. Yeah, I see the Prussian model is is intentionally giving you not a lot of information in a long period of time. Yeah, exactly. They're training you to be a factory worker. They want you to be yeah. uh, uh, part of the machine. That's it. Worker class is what that machine is designed to crank out. Absolutely. Behold, that's what it makes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, no one knows it better than me. You know, I've been driving a truck for almost 20 years now. So I've, I've been right in the middle of that machine and I've defended that machine and I've come to look out the other side and say, Oh shit, I'm an anarchist. Fuck these, that machine. You know? So <laughs> yeah. Well, I went to seven different schools and not all of them were public. So whatever message I was supposed to get as a kid, I didn't get it. <laughs> whatever that, whatever they were trying to make sure that I was absolutely certain of when I came out of school, I was absolutely not certain of any of it. Well, you and probably weren't what you're supposed to be when you come out of school. Yeah, the last thing they want is somebody who asks questions. Um, that that's for sure. I I could I could talk all day about that and and the way I raise my kids and the things I tell my kids and we we could go off on a tangent on that, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep you too, too long because, because it's already, I've already made you wait too long to get on here. So, um, let's, uh, let's move to money because you have, you have, you broke it down perfectly on your podcast on the direct Republic podcast. And I'm going to keep plugging it. You guys need to go listen to all of the episodes. I know he's an He's a humble guy and he's like, I don't know why the hell you're listening to the first two episodes about who I am and what I did in the military. But sometimes people want to know that they are listening to somebody, you know, as you said, when, uh, when Bernays was asked what propaganda was, he said, well, the fact that all these people are going to believe me because you called me a doctor is propaganda. So they need to know who they're getting their information from. These people, like that, the people need to know who they're getting their information from. So I think you did a, a great service by recording those first two podcasts, and I enjoyed it. I enjoy your sardonic humor. You have a, and I, I'm sure that's part of being in the service is having that dark sense sense of humor. So I really enjoyed that. But I want to move to money, and you made a point that not a lot of people yeah. get that the dollar. And the, the, a Federal Reserve note, not the exact same thing. Can you break that down, man? Layman's terms, easy as you can. Break that down for people. Well, the U.S. dollar is set to a 120th announced gold by statute. The Federal Reserve note, brand named the dollar, TM, trademarked by the Federal Reserve, is what everybody uses. So this bait and switch went on a long, long time ago. You know, this was when there were, you know, uh, there were the Civil War and the Revolutionary War had gone through basically war bonds that had blown up and soldiers who didn't get paid for their service. And, and you know, if they didn't get paid, if they did get paid, you know, at a certain point, you're a mercenary. But at a certain point, you, you got to reimburse a soldier for their expenses. Otherwise, they can't afford to go. So that had blown up a couple of times. So when the dollar came back, it, the, the U.S. dollar in by the Federal Reserve standards was redeemable for one twentieth an ounce of gold from 1913 until um, I want to say it was almost until FDR was confiscating gold. So there was you know almost 20 years there. That's a long time to dull somebody 
as to what what a dollar is versus a Federal Reserve note. Then the Bretton Woods came, system came out, and overnight it went from twenty dollars an ounce to I think it was forty. For oh, it was forty percent backing. So whatever you, whatever the bank had, they used to have to have a one-to-one reserve so that people could go and turn in their their uh, dollars and they'd be able to get gold. Well, now they only had the banks only had to have a forty percent backing. And then when Nixon took them off the gold standard, they didn't have they didn't have any backing. So ever since then, it's just been a floating standard of Federal Reserve notes that get printed ad nauseum versus some kind of mathematical standard that's tethered to a reality that you and I share. Otherwise, the dollar is just propaganda and a, a printing press, and, and it's not a it's not a unit of measurement that anyone can trust. Absolutely, yeah, I like the way you break it down. You know, I, I've seen a meme going around that shows a dollar prior 1971, and it said one dollar on it, and then um, uh, the it, the next picture is. Um, a dollar today and it says federal reserve note on it. And I, I don't think, I mean, I think the meme is, is trying, you know, it's trying to make the same point that you're making, but I think the way that you explain it is, is really easy for people to understand. Uh, you do a really good job with that. And I, I think that's really one of the mo- more important points that people need to understand is that, that what they're spending is not a dollar. You can call it a dollar, and that's what that's what we call it. We call it a dollar, but it's not a dollar. And uh, when you look back since the beginning of the Federal Reserve, you know the the currency, the paper currency that we carry around in our pocket, the fiat, whatever you want to call it, is has lost ninety ninety six percent of the, its spending value and its spending power. And it, I know you don't like the word value, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back off of that word for a second. But it's spending power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the way they abuse the system is they they change the unit of measure. If I come over to your house and I ask for a cup of sugar and I hand you a measuring cup and you hand me back a thimble filled with sugar, you have changed the unit of increment. You have now mm. said that the thimble is full of sugar is a cup. Well, right. if you hand me back a five-gallon bucket of sugar, I win. If you hand me back a thimble full of sugar, I lose. Right. The problem here isn't I'm not bar- I'm I'm not borrowing a cup. I have I've saved all those cups in my bank account, and they they were five-gallon buckets when I put them in there. But they're going to be thimbles by the time you take them out because the Federal Reserve is just going to keep printing until all of your sugar is gone. But don't worry, you'll still have as many cups as you had before. You'll just have a lot less sugar. And right. That's where the purchasing power just evaporates. So it's as long as we keep doing it, it will continue because that's how it works. Yeah. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. And sometimes it's hard to it's hard to show people that. I remember uh, having a conversation with my dad a while back about the purchasing power of the dollar, and uh, and he was like, "No, but but." but you're underestimating the power of quantitative easing. And I was like, okay, I was like, all right. I was like, do you understand that in 1920, one ounce of gold would buy you a nice custom made suit and a nice pair of shoes. And today one ounce of gold will buy you a nice custom made suit and a nice pair of shoes. Now look at the price of gold in 1920 versus the price of gold today. Now, what has changed? The custom-made suit and the shoes? Yeah, a little bit with style, but the dollar is losing value, not the gold and not the suit and shoes. You know, and it, he was like, really? Is that true? And I was like, yeah, that's true. You know, so when you can point out the point to something solid like that, that people can look at and say, oh, shit, you're right. You know, $20 in 1920 buys me the exact same thing that $1,300 in 2020 buys me, you know? So maybe there's an issue going on. Maybe there's something been happening. So your dad's reply there has some information. In it. He says, you don't understand the power of quantitative easing. It sounds like he's preaching to you. You don't understand the power of the federal reserve, but if you just believe, if you just believe that they could do it, then it'll all be okay because the power of quantitative easing, 
Does anybody know what that means? It mean, All it means is you're going to debase the unit of measure. I don't think your dad wanted to debase the unit of measure, but when he's engaged in this topic, it sounds like the power of the Federal Reserve. Right. And, and just, just, to, just to defend my dad for a minute, he, he, did, he has come around in the last six months on quantitative easing. Just, just to let you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh no i'm just saying that crazy out like i didn't i wasn't there for the conversation but no i, I know i said i just evangelical my, my, my mom listens and she might like be like hey he's talking shit about you no we're not talking shit about you no. <laughs> love I you dad know, listen i'm noticing a lot of stuff about yeah, I love you, Dad. <laughs> I noticed there's a lot of evangel evangelism in government propaganda. It all you Absolutely. have to believe in the power of how it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't, then you'll just stop because it's dumb. <laughs> what, have you? Did you watch that? And this is kind of totally off subject, and people are going to think I'm fucking insane. Did you watch the series uh, on Netflix, Trotsky? I did not. Oh man, I would really, I would really suggest that you watch it. I, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. They okay. they did a really good job of okay. humanizing a person that people like paint as evil and showing it as uh -huh. this dynamic of humanity that he has both good and evil, which I think is important. You know what I'm saying? Like whether I agree with him is political ideology or not i think it's very important to paint people of history as human beings that are both capable of good and evil but he he did make a comment and and at one point in the in the series where he was i don't even think it was him i think it was somebody talking to him and that was that gave him advice and he was talking revolution, revolution, revolution. And the guy made a, I th made a comment that, hey, you have to quit looking at this as anything other than religion or something of that nature. And he's like, religion mm -hmm. requires belief. Religion requires faith. And so he's, he's in, the, in that show, they're openly, you know, revealing the fact that ideology, political ideology is sold as religion and i thought that was really interesting yeah i I've, that started with me several years ago i'd say it was lark and rose who just started calling oh, the government yeah. like straight up as a religion and he was pretty good at it and i started breaking it down in the organizational matrix is very is very telling um you know there's a deity at the top and you cannot you can't go to get jesus there is no jesus if jesus the reason the priests are raping the children has nothing to do with jesus but if we want to go and get the vatican <coughs> there is no vatican it's a group of people like yeah. it's a location and it's a group of people the organization is called the vatican then there's a location called the vatican are, you're talking when you want to go get someone you're not trying to get the vatican you're trying to get a bunch of raping priests mm. and that's that's kind of how the government functions except mm. you're looking for raping congressmen mm. that's about it mm. and they've been hiding behind a bunch of they've been hiding behind uh, the the paywall for a long time for a long time yeah. um oh, some, you were talking about trotsky um, so they were, you're saying they were just trying to humanize him in the whole thing and make it look like, you know, he was basically clear that you were preaching we, a religion we, about I, it. You know, the, when, the, all right, so in the first five minutes of the, ep, of, of the season, where the first five minutes of the first episode, I thought it was just going to be straight propaganda. I, I honestly did. Now this was, this is um, a series about Trotsky and it's made in Russia. This is a Russian producer. It's all subtitled. You have to read your way oh. through it. Okay. But um, as I got into the series and I watched it because I wanted to, I wanted to see what they were, where they were going with it. 
as I got into it, you you began you began to see like this the nuance of humanity, the the struggle within um, the the ability for him to completely dismiss or excuse the the murder of innocent people and things like that. And, and you saw, you were able to see that, okay, what they're trying to do is they're trying to show that Trotsky was a man. Now, he wasn't a, like some immortal beast and he wasn't a devil and he wasn't a demon. That, that he was flawed as a man and the way that he, he excused killing these people while demonizing Stalin for doing the exact same thing. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was a really interesting conflict. Yeah. I, I find that as soon as you find out how all this stuff, when you find out how politics really works behind the veil, it's never anything in the eighth grade civics book. And then it looks somewhere between Jeffrey Epstein, Trotsky and an election. And the election <laughs> being the better of the three. Right. That's gross. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. I, I've been finding a lot of this is neuro-linguistics. Straight up neuro-linguistic nonsense. Like a thousand years ago, neural, the science of neuro-linguistics a thousand years ago was called white magic. Yeah. They didn't know, but somebody, they, someone would come along and they'd speak a bunch of words to you and then you would be enchanted and you'd wander off into the hills and not know what you were doing because someone told you how it worked and then you thought you knew. Yeah. And that was it. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to cover all your subjects because I really want everybody listening to this podcast to go check out your podcast. Cause you get really in depth and, and, and you, you cover things in a very, yep, I'm not, you cover things in a very unique way. And I find it very entertaining as well as informative. Like I do, I, I, I enjoy listening to you. Um, because you, you have this kind of like, like I said, you have this kind of like sardonic kind of sense of humor. That's kind of like this undertone when you say certain things It I don't know, I guess yep. unless you're as cynical and, and sick as I am, you, you won't get it, but, but, right. but, Listen, but there's a lot mechanical. of, there's a lot of comedy in there. <laughs> You, you describe that you describe it on its rudimentary terms and then you turn it all the way up to volume 11 in the worst case scenario all at the same time and you yeah. get the whole scope of the enterprise right, right. from where you're going to touch it to all the way to the dumbest end and and that's the whole thing so once you understand the scope of the enterprise and you realize okay this is just mostly dumb everything in three-dimensional space is dumb as soon as everybody realizes that, a lot of these, it gets harder to lie at, lie to people in politics because as soon as the politician says it, the people go, there's no way that happens in space. That does not happen in three-dimensional space. Right. The laws of friction would not allow what you just promised us. <laughs> Period. And then, and then I hear some general get on a show and says Elon Musk is making he Elon Musk whatever whatever patents he just released and his stock went through the roof in Brownsville Texas um if anybody wants to reference this the guy's name is General Steve Quas he was an Air Force general and he says Elon Musk has technology that will get you from here to Singapore in 40 minutes that's interesting yeah, that, that all of a sudden we got is that kind of technology coming out of a civilian, <laughs> and, and and that came out of an Air Force general's mouth. So yeah. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. It's hard to it's hard to lie to an Air Force general about aircraft going from the United States because he's read on about everything going on here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty so amazing. We're all in for. Very interesting information here in the next several months. Well, and if, if you would have told me when I was, I don't know, five years old, right? That would have been 1984. I would have, I would have, I turned five. You, if you would have told me in 1984, the things, the technology, the advancements I would have seen in my lifetime. I know I would have thought you were 
absolutely trying to write a, a, a tell me a bedtime story. You know, like it would, it would have blown my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah, I not saw surprised. Return of the Jedi in 1983. I don't, I might've bought it. Yeah. I might've bought the story because of the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'd seen that by, by the time I was five. I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody who was paying more attention to me than I was, but Hey man, we're running up uh, on some time. I'll, I'll, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you too long and I want to make sure that we get all this recorded in a, in a, in a, in a good format. Um, so what I want, what I wanted to ask you, and this was something I was thinking about today. This was the one question that was nagging me all day long is what is it that today okay. today people can do to move towards a direct republic to towards that life of more liberty that you see as a feasible option for every individual today That you have to understand that what you're being sold in politics is functionally a lie. It's either a dialectic lie or it's a mechanical lie because most of what you're seeing in the political realm is being supported by the printing press. You can talk about taxes. You could talk about fees. <coughs> most of what's going on in the government at this point is, is multi-trillion dollar deficits where the dollars get pushed into the they just get pushed into an ability. So the thing you need to do is, you know, I, I would say either start learning your monet, monetary system or start learning your political system, looking at them for the lies. And if you don't know what a lie looks like in your political or monetary system, then you're just a human victim waiting to happen because nobody can really help. Like there's a little bit of self-help where your eighth grade civics class was only half right. It was half right and it was half complete, which means it was wrong and halfway there. So you go find the other half and then you'll, you'll have some kind of better idea of how, how it work where you don't get stolen from. That's what they could do for themselves. It's finding out what, what third party fraud looks like in your life and clean it up. And it's really a lot of education. You know, the enemy is in the mirror most of the time. Interesting. Okay. I like that. The enemy is in the mirror most of the time. And Paul, you don't know how to do it yourself. You're not helping. That, that, that's going to go up there though. With one of my favorites, the favorite of your quotes, politics is war by any other means. And the enemy is in the mirror most of the time. So if you're not getting anything out of that, you're not paying attention. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right man yeah where where can we find you where can they where can uh they can come get you at man what what's your website and give all the books and the no, everything the no hypothesis politics.com is a free book and all the podcasts you can get your hands on i'm looking for people who Anybody who knows anybody in, Ber in Bermuda that's connected in Bermuda because they just lost their uh, they just lost their USD US dollar ties like some of their banking functions the whole island lost so there's uh, there's a distressed a distressed government is the great place you know a great place to set up an economic freedom zone <laughs> so I'm looking for those but also anybody in the software world VC money world philanthropy world who wants to Learn how to create software to like instead of instead of invading with the Second Amendment and making infantrymen that will fight against their government. You go in and you pass out software and you teach everybody how to create a peaceful revolt on their own. Right. So this is the peaceful revolt model, and anybody who wants a peaceful revolt, I'm right here. Okay, and and repeat that website again because you broke um, up just uh, a little bit. The null hypothesis of politics.com. Thank you. Okay. And then you, uh, the direct Republic podcast, it's on Spotify. Is it on any other, uh, any other platforms? Do you have it on Google play or iTunes, Apple, anything like that? 
I have it on Anchor. Anchor Anchor has it on six or seven. If you go if you go to my website, the button there will take you to Anchor, and then there are options. Spotify is the easiest one, but okay. well, it's the easiest one for me. But there's five or six other ones there that it's already up on. All right, fair enough, fair enough. And if uh, y'all y'all need to go read the null hypothesis and listen to the Direct Republic podcast, he gets a lot more in detail in the podcast. And uh, you're what five episodes in, six episodes in. 11 but some of them are short i just put a couple ones up the other day but they're short i might have missed them man i i think i i think the last one i listened to um like i said i've listened to the ones i've listened to i've listened to like three times and it was the last one i listened to was total war so uh yeah so i might be behind the the manipulation yeah that one was really good, though. I I do plan on going to the website and downloading that document and reading through it to see everything you got going on in red there because I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> hey, that, a copy of that document in the Art of War is a very good Von Clausewitz tutorial. That's why I did it. Yeah. I could, like, I don't believe in nonsense. So I'm looking at that document I'm like, wow, this is a really good rundown. Right. Yeah. No, it was, it was really interesting the way you broke it down, the way you broke down the bullet points. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> it's like, okay, I yeah. see what, I see where this is going. <laughs> so. Yeah. Some of that stuff is, is like an instruction manual on how to hurt a primate. Right. 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 So really interesting know, stuff. That, man. That's not an opinion. all right well look i'm gonna sign out of the podcast i want to i want to chat with you just for one second as soon as we get off here so uh to everybody listening i'm tommy salmons late all right man